Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Food that's good for the environment, good for the people who eat it, and good for the people who grow it. They pick it so it's beautiful when it comes to market, and you get to enjoy that. Local businesses is the, the first place that we can directly support somebody. You've got to believe in what you do, and if you stick to that, then you're getting there anyway. Hello there, and welcome to another Quicksand Food Podcast. My name is Stefan Postuma. Today, I speak with Fiona and Adam Wormsley from Buena Vista Farm in Jerringong. The farm is on one of the most beautiful pieces of property I've ever seen, overlooking the beautiful rolling hills of Jerringong and the ocean. And they mix up their production there. They've got pigs, they've got chickens, which they use for both meat and eggs. They've got cows, they've got a market garden, they've got honeybees, and they also run workshops and engage the public with what they do. I really enjoyed my chat to them. We get into some interesting territory about the challenges faced by new producers and also Adam's love for donkeys and blacksmithing. I love these guys. I love Buena Vista Farm. They trade at the Kayama Farmers Markets every Wednesday. Had a great chat. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Fiona and Adam Wormsley from Buena Vista Farm in Jerringong. I, I, do, you, do you find a lot of people from Sydney come down for the weekend? Yeah? A lot of people. And a lot of people from Sydney who just want a bit of a... They just—they really have this vision of living slightly more sustainably and growing some food and making some food. And so it really is, you know, they've come out of an apartment or whatever and they just they just want a, a little tiny bit of farm. Mm. So it's nice. It's really, like there's really, you make genuine connections because people really want to do something. They want to make their own bread. Mm. And they want to... Their own experience. Yeah. So... I meet a lot of people from Canberra as well. Probably yeah. half... Almost half of the non, when I say local, I mean sort of, you know, Illawarra down to the south coast. But uh, we're getting more and more Canberra Canberraites coming, and they mm. typically come for a whole weekend because yeah. it's that little bit further away, and, yeah, uh, mm. a bit warmer. It's, I mean, uh, at this time of year, they're appreciating it. It's, uh, but uh, everyone's sort of after an experience, I think. They, yeah, the there's a lot of people that want to move to property. There's a lot of people that want to you know just downsize and shift perspective and isn't there hmm. like, and so there's a huge number of young, what do you reckon that's what people. do you reckon that's attributed to i just think it's cyclic i think it's not new i think you know 30 30 40 years ago we had the same thing and they were called back to the landers so i think it's just right. cyclic where people just go particularly we've come out of it's my dad we've come out of um uh, you know, a really capitalist-driven decade, and I think people just get exhausted with capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think it is. Do you the have a better? Race. Yeah, just the yeah. And do you think? Do you think that now with the internet and the fact that you can like learn the story of Buena Vista Farm from? Iceland or wherever in the world just by following your Instagram and, and reading your blog and your Facebook and whatever it allows people more of an insight into other ways of life which is is a partly you know you can partly attribute this part of the cycle to that or, or do you think like like you say like people are yet yeah, sick of capitalism sick of the rat race and whatever I don't know I just feel like social media it's opened the window for so many people to try live alternatively to other things 
to, to previous ways of living because you see what's out, out there. Like you see artisans who go, stuff it, I'm going to make knives or I'm going to run workshops or I'm going to be a market gardener or whatever. And, and, and there's people doing that successfully. Whereas before social media, it's, it depends on the media that you consume, but you don't get an insight into that so much. I, I think it's much easier to share your story now. Yeah. So perhaps 20 years ago, you had to, whether it was through photographs or you had to write a good book. And whereas now there's so much more visual yeah. storytelling that makes it easier. And I think that perhaps taps into um, a yearning for you know living a simpler life, perhaps, or a, a more sustainable life, or a different life to the one. Yeah, just a different. Yeah, life. I wonder if that's it. it. You wonder if if there's just a, a bigger window into alternative lives, and so yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Like, I was looking at some stats, like in Canberra, and the amount of small business, small business, new small businesses in 2016 was way higher than any other year and and I don't know I just feel like it's potentially just more and more people are seeing how seeing well yes I work especially down in Canberra yes I work in the public service but they're looking at all these people doing all these creative and interesting things and thinking you know and running their own running their own show running their own show and doing it their way and whatever and that's people will always have different motivations but um yeah I mean you're never gonna you're never gonna start making Become you start doing a blacksmith apprenticeship if you never see any stories or images about doing that sort of thing. Like, I'll see, I'll, I'll, I'll get into some weird stuff on social media or the internet that I just like, well, wow, that's fascinating. I was like, that looks like it'd be a nice little way of life down the rabbit hole, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, oh, blacksmithing, yeah, getting up, yeah, that's Adam's dream, it's really? actually blacksmith chef's knives. Yeah, like the, the reason I brought up blacksmithing was because there's a guy up in the Southern Highlands, yeah. Steve. Do you know him? Yeah, I've heard of him. Steve Hogwood. Yeah. Yep. You guys would love him because he's a fermenter. He's a fermenter guy. Yeah. Um, and he's a blacksmith, and I'm like, oh, maybe one day I'd be able to live on a nice little hobby farm with my veggie patch and a little forge and an anvil and a hammer, and and that'll be me, and I'll just you know. It just sounds awesome, doesn't yeah. it? That even sounds awesome to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of... Because what you're wrapping up... Yeah, I'd never really thought about that, the way that people actually see the variety mm. of different lives. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> have, you had, have you had a go at blacksmithing yourself? Yeah, yeah? so I'm setting up a forge. Really? You are setting up a forge. So we're going to the knife show this weekend up really? at Rose <laughs> Hill. Um, and... Play. Yeah, so I've got another. I've got two mates locally. One's quite an experienced blacksmith, and the other one's sort of just setting up cool. as well. But it's interesting because you can make knives out of all the old steel on the farm, and I love the, yeah, right. the fact that it's sort of a story, and yeah. you can turn an old plow implement into a chef's knife, and I can use old fence posts as a handle. And it's a Buena Vista farm yeah. knife then that I've made. It's also something creative because I think in my job, you're outside. I love what I do, but there's. Uh, it's nice to have a creative outlet that's not based totally in practical farming and yeah. you know, how to keep stuff alive or how to grow it or how to sell sure. it. Yeah. I think um, that, I mean, we can talk about blacksmithing for as long as we like. <laughs> spoon carving. One, yeah, one of the interesting one. things about blacksmithing when I was looking into it was that a lot of the blacksmithing that you'd see, the stuff that are made by blacksmiths at markets and things like that are kind of old school-y, style-y and whatever. And I just, and, and occasionally I'd see some stuff that was quite modern and really creative and, mm. it, and it's striking like they make some beautiful whether it's sculpture or mm. knives or whatever yeah it's beautiful stuff bending cool. metal yeah bending metal heating yeah. stuff up whacking it with a hammer what's yeah. it? simple things in life have you got any horses you should get some horses just so you can shoe them. i want a donkey i reckon i could shoe a donkey yeah <laughs> no, just don't get me started on donkeys Fee's going oh, what's this podcast about like you know, how, we, um, how did we end up at donkeys, donkeys. Again. It's, a, it's a special skill that I have Adam you know. and his love of the donkey you can't shoot donkeys. I still want a donkey so why do you want a donkey because they're guardian animals uh, okay. so they're actually they hate foxes so they're really good okay. uh, and they've, they live to sort of you know 50 so I can hand it over to my kids give them a grumpy donkey it's my legacy <laughs> and uh, I just like them you know they look they are pretty. They cool. look like they've, you know, the world, the way the world is on their shoulders, and just be nice to, yeah. you know. We do don't have a big donkey history here in Australia, but mm. they're a very important historical animal, like yeah. from 
other cultures. Yeah. Yeah. And I can um, do my feed run. I can take the chicken feed out in the morning. On the have, have it back of the donkey. next to your store at the markets. Yeah. yeah. Pack, your, pack I, your stuff on. I could ride into the markets on my donkey. <laughs> you know, you are enabling him, Stefan. Okay. You should have yeah. clarified this before. Donkeys, there we go. So you can add donkey farmer. Donkey. Yeah. Your farm? I guess you're not a donkey farmer, just a donkey owner. Donkey lover. Donkey lover and yeah. blacksmith to your list of... Yes. Um, stuff that you do. Now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, you guys was you guys wear so many hats in, in what you do. So if we run through the list of what you do, so you, you farm pigs, goats, chickens, you've got ducks now, uh, cows, market garden, bees, coffee, mm-hmm. run workshops, mm-hmm. teach people mm-hmm. things, um, what else? Like, and then you've also got social media and a website, and do you blog as well? I used to. We've you used to blog. I did. We've actually the other main arm of the business is <coughs> we've got a food business. So yeah, we, exactly. So we produce fermented foods and for producing sale at, the, at the farmers market. At yeah. the market, yeah. Um, and yeah, and you, and you, you're business owners. Mm. So do, how do you learn how to do all this? Do you, is it one step at a time? Do you just go? Let's get hot. Like now, I know how to that, we, that the market garden works. Let's get beehives, and and then you just start learning that. Mm. So um, we kind of started with the food business because it was pretty good cash flow when we didn't really right. have any. So when we first started, before the chickens were laying and the even the pigs were in the paddock, we we were able to make stuff. So we you know we started with the first when the when the, we got our first lot of chickens. They lay these little pullet eggs, which I didn't even know about. That of course a chicken, when it lays an egg for the first six weeks, it lays little eggs, and I didn't want to sell them because then I was going to have to tell the story about small eggs, etc. So we turned them all into custard, and then that custard became a bit of a a, a cult sort of hit locally, and mm-hmm. we made it for years actually, and sold it at the farmers market, etc. And we just so we've just sort of started with food because it or it ran in parallel with other things but it did mean that all our eggs literally weren't in one basket so (laughs) if we had an issue uh in one area um you know there was there was another area that we could fall back on so you know we had a a bad couple of months um a few years ago with um chicken losses due to foxes and so the food business kind of held us up and then at the same time we're running workshops so it's always it's nice it does it sounds like we're spread really thin but we feel like we've just sort of mitigated the risk as a as a farm we've got more than one thing going on but who do you who do you sort of turn like when you say well, i'm going to start producing honey mm-hmm. who, who did you learn beekeeping <laughs> off <laughs> um the unfortunate with beekeeping fee's dad had been a beekeeper right okay cool uh, and he'd only just sold his hives probably six months before we decided to move down here, as, <laughs> okay. as luck would have it. Uh, so he's been terrific at, at mentoring uh, mm-hmm. through that and a bit of advice. Uh, but I do a lot of reading and uh, I did a couple of B courses okay. uh, to get sort of hands-on experience. And I think with a lot of farming, bees are probably a bit different, but a lot of farming generally, it's probably 70% common sense and just having a crack. And then that 30 seconds where you yeah. you get some specialised knowledge or you know who to call or you develop contacts or you find you know, additional resources for the sort of technical bits. Yeah. Um, and you just give it a... Having the you, space and, yeah. and, and, and getting go started. And observe and watch what happens and yeah. you know, see, see. I think meat chickens are a little bit different to that. They find every possible way to kill themselves. So Really? Uh, they're a little uh, probably <laughs> higher high maintenance. Oh, meat chickens, they find there's so many ways that they can just drop off their mortal coil from day old right up to you know the day before you're due to process yeah, them. Right. So uh, there's a steeper learning curve, I'd say, with those those birds. And that took us a little bit longer than... For instance, other livestock. Why did you like? Why did you decide we'll do meat chickens as well? Because obviously, with the abattoirs in Sydney that you have to take them mm-hmm. to, and the the labour that sort of goes into it, rather than just having yeah. eggs. Yeah. Well, actually, when we started, we had an abattoir just up in Thirlmere, so we did okay. a year processing at Thirlmere, and then and had kind of got established when that abattoir closed down, and then we had to move to to Ke- our processing to Kellyville. Mm-hmm. But why meat chickens? Well, there. Are- they're a good source of protein. They're something that you can do on a small acreage, so you don't need massive amounts of land. Mm. And it's quite a quick turnaround, so eight weeks is from day old chick to, to processing. And, yeah, in terms of the numbers of the livestock that we could run on our farm, we could run you know, seven cows, which isn't going to feed our family, but 
we could do batches of 100 meat chickens every fortnight and that's actually that's a viable living uh, right uh, yeah. doing so that. it's an economic decision yeah uh, economic and no one else was doing pastured meat chickens and they taste amazing they're yeah. so much different what's the breed uh, the ones we're growing at the moment are a cob, uh, yeah. like a, an industrialised chicken. It's right, a, okay. a redly hatchery chicken. So the, the heritage ones that you have there aren't the meat chicken? Uh, no, no, they're, they're layers. 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 We have done, we've done summer lad heritage meat birds before, and they were amazing birds. They were very different, very big, fully feathered, a lot, um, a, a lot sort of more interesting behavioural um, characteristics. Uh, we just found them... Again, due to the restrictions on the size of our farm, they're much slower growing, so 14 to 16 weeks, and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't justify them economically because of that slower growth rate, mm-hmm. which is the whole selling point of them. Um, and also they're a little bit more specialised because of the, the time and the cost of doing them. They're mm-hmm. a, a sort of premium chicken, and we just felt for our market we wanted to be an integral part of a local food system. Right. And affordability or accessibility to honest food we sort of made the tough decision we'd go back to sort of a more traditional meat bird chicken that's not as sexy and fashionable but it still tastes really good and mm. it fits our fits our farming more yeah i think that yeah like i mean you can you can try to explain to people as much as you, you want about how sexy and cool this this heritage bird is and stuff like that but when the feathers are off and, and they're looking at it next to another chicken or whatever they're like why is this one so much more expensive yeah, or whatever it may be so yeah mm. yeah yeah maybe uh, chefs would probably be the only people who'd be willing to pay decent money for um, different sh- chefs are passionate about it and and again they can tell the story for us we didn't want to wholesale we're a small farm so we really focus on selling direct to the end consumer and yeah. Um, for ages, we did sell through Feather and Butchery in Sydney, and they were fabulous to do yeah. it because it was great. And they did all they the schmoozing with chefs and, yeah. and got it in. Um, but again, coming back to that local food systems, we, we sort of always felt it was a bit of a, an anomaly in our business that yeah, one of the okay. best things we produced, we only sold to a Sydney market, not locally. Mm-hmm. So that's why in the last couple of months, we've brought the chickens back to, and we sell from the farm or from the farmer's market uh, to locals. So does that mean that, like, are there... Does that mean that you have to sort of make economic sacrifices in a way to keep with the local ethos, like a lot of the time? Like, have you had offers from, you know, distributors or wholesalers or people approach you that mean that you'd have to step outside that model? You'd make more money, but you'd have to step outside sort of the ethos that you started with? Uh Generally, it's the reverse that we actually wouldn't make as much money yeah, right. selling bulk, but it's the convenience and the time factor of having essentially one transaction. Yeah, okay. I could drop the birds mm-hmm. at the abattoir and not even wait around for mm-hmm. them to come out because they'll go in a refrigerated van to a Sydney butcher's and we don't see them again. We get one you know, a monthly. It's a guaranteed sale. They'll take everything we produce. So there's, there's that trade-off that maybe for part of our business we do that um, because to sell 100 chickens, generally that's probably... 70 different customers maybe a few less because people are buying multiples but it's a lot of individual transactions so it's that trade-off between wholesale and retail and but we love that we put a value on that contact with individual local customers and talking to people about how they cooked our chicken the yeah. night, last week and getting the feedback and uh and that trade-off we think is valuable even though it takes more time and effort on our part to potentially market it or sell it how do you sell your chickens locally so we have a chicken list. Uh, so we have a we've got a database that just people subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah. So we have a database, but we have a subset of that which is a chicken list. So we don't keep spamming people that yeah. are too far away to buy chickens. And we just go out to the chicken list uh, when when the chickens are available, which at the moment is once a month, uh, and say, "Do you want one?" Yeah. And they email back and say yes or no. And and what they come and pick it up. They come and pick it up. So either you collect direct, you collect from the farm, or you collect from the farmers market. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And the same with porker. Porker is pork, the same. Yeah. Way. Yeah. The same. Yeah. yeah. So, but it goes out to the whole database usually, and beef when we have it, uh, and then everything else gets sold through the farmers market. So the honey and the eggs and the veg all get sold at the farmers market. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's if it's once a month, even there's something about sort of. Not not have not it not being as accessible as you as you might that makes it so much more special you know mm. like if you get yes there's chickens yes we've got a chicken and then yeah. and then you put the time and the care into making it yeah. beautifully it's yeah. not just the 
$8 bird that you buy from the supermarket you can mm. throw into the oven whenever you want. Like no, you put yeah. so much more effort and into it. And we give customers recipes, so how to make, um, you know, the best bone broth and how to make, how to roast it beautifully and stuff like yeah. that. So we're... Because mm. really they're big. Yeah, they're big. <laughs> they're generally yeah. over two kilos, so they're, yeah. they're pretty solid. They're very different to a supermarket chicken. So you've got to tell that, I mean, we tell the story about how they're raised and how they're managed on the farm and how they're in fresh pasture and what they eat and those kinds So of what, like, if you have to just list, like briefly the massive difference the fresh pasture that they that they live on and what they eat yeah and stocking densities so okay. our um our birds uh, are in a brooder for a couple of weeks which all baby birds have to be to lay develop their pin feathers uh, but in a industrialized system they stay in sheds and stocking densities of sort of 10 20,000 birds a shed and even free range ones they're in those sheds they have flaps and doors to venture outside but the reality is the the number that do or what they're going out onto is often dirt not grass yeah uh, so ours are in batches of 100 they're in portable field shelters and they're always on fresh grass we move the shelters regularly uh, to avoid a manure build up yeah and they actually they forage a lot they eat a surprising amount of grass but they're also scratching and they're looking for bugs they're they're allowed to exhibit their normal chickenness yeah and uh, make dust baths um, and yeah, so that I think the access to sunlight makes them healthier. Like it's a it's a cleaner, yeah, it's uh, just a healthier animal, less germy environment. Yeah, um, and they get a bigger range of uh, dietary inputs because they're still getting a commercial chicken feed, but it doesn't have antibiotics in it, which is another difference with a lot of uh, supermarket chicken that you buy in mm. Australia. Um, and then they're also the exercise that they get because of the space the texture of the chicken because they're they're working their muscles more um in an industrialized chicken shed they manipulate lighting so they turn lighting on and off because they want the birds to eat when the light comes on and then they turn off the light so that they sleep so they don't they're not burning off any weight gain they're putting on weight as quickly as possible and you know a supermarket chicken is often sort of between four to five weeks old and ours are eight weeks old so they're even though they're the same genetic starting material they're quite different in terms of all those different factors. And so our birds have more texture, but they also have a lot more flavour and they're healthier, they're bigger, and we think that they've had a pretty reasonable life, apart from that inevitable one bad day. Yeah, it's all got to go through. And then you give the the public the opportunity to get involved in that as well, to educate them on actually the reality of it. Because, yeah, I mean... Yeah, like, I mean, it's been said a bunch of times, but you got to know, if you know where your food comes from, you've got to know how it dies. Yes, you know? that radical transparency. And yeah. Come and learn how to grow it and then come and learn how to dispatch it. Yeah. Mm. Is that something you've noticed grow, the interest in people wanting to come and learn that? Uh, yeah, I don't know about growth. It's, it's a sort of niche course that we do. We run it a couple of times a year. I'm always surprised when people sign up for it. I always think, yeah. oh, I'll put it out there and you never know who. And generally, the, everyone that's ever done that course has been so lovely but so passionate about the food. And most people are very challenged by what they've signed up to do. Right. And it's a stretch for them, but they're quite satisfied at the end that they've managed to do it and they've, you know, they've made a food, a, a food source at the end of the day mm. that was confronting, but they, they did it with respect and dignity and... I think feel confident uh, in their ability to do it again in their own environment without sort of undue uh, stress to the animal, to the, mm. to the chicken. It's a real generational thing because really, you know, our parents and their parents, lots and lots of people process their own mm. poultry for, uh, for the table and it's just a very rare thing for people to do these days. And mm. I think, I think there's, a, there's a nice kind of connection. A lot of people sort of recall seeing grandma do it or whatever mm. sometimes calmly and sometimes less calmly there's a lot of stories about chickens axes and, and axes which is not around. how we do it of course so <laughs> yeah so it's nice yeah. yeah that's good that's good mm. it's a yeah it's it's so important and mm. it's good it's good to see that it i don't know it's it, 
I don't know whether it's sort of coming back to, you know, this, like you talk about how it's cyclic and stuff, like mm. at a point industrialized sort of agriculture, it was just like, yes, it's so convenient. Like it's there's convenient. this thing called styrofoam and there's this thing called glad wrap and microwaves that just make everything so convenient. And yeah. it was all glamour, but it's sort of, yeah, yeah, the cycle sort of coming back around. Well, because it became evident that there was a cost, yeah. a big cost. And uh, yes, it's not sustainable, literally. Yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> sustainable so we need to make a change yeah i had some questions so i want to see if i can quickly uh Uh oh we have no answers to advise that (laughs) why did you why did you start why did you start you you had the food business and you were selling that through the farmer's market was was the workshops and bringing people onto the farm and engaging with the public something that you thought of initially or was it just like well why don't we just teach teach people how to do this why did you start doing workshops and bringing the public in to start with um to be honest the workshops were actually the very first idea they weren't the first thing we did but that was actually what we planned to do when we moved back home so we um we were in sydney uh, i had a food background adam had a retail background and we thought it would be a really good idea to start a cooking school for kids on a farm. This lovely idea that we would connect children with this, you know, with the source of food and we could grow wheat and thresh it and grind it and make pizza dough with them, etc. Not just our kids, but in a in the context of a kids cooking school. And I'm embarrassed to say that we have yet to run one kids cooking class. It's on the list for this year. I'm hoping to get it to get it going this year, but uh, we started with adults because, you know, we have children, so we know that adults are easier to teach. Uh, so, um, but we will we will get onto that. But that was the idea that we wanted to teach kids um, simple cooking skill, skills, but connected to their source of food. So pick a tomato, turn it into passata, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, it just took us a little while to get going on the, on the cooking school because we needed to build a commercial kitchen and get our confidence together to to do it and you know we we're not teaching chefing or chefing yes. stuff at yeah, all we're exactly. teaching traditional food we're teaching sourdough and baking and fermentation and cheese making and bone broth it's really stuff that everybody made at home 40 years ago yeah 50 years ago so it's not terribly technical uh, we just needed to sort of get it to get get out you know get get it organized here yeah, for yeah. us to be able to run those and it's probably one of the our favorite things that we do we love it we absolutely love it we love that connection with people we're, we're actually farmers that do like people there are a lot of people that are farmers because they prefer to talk to chickens but actually we uh we love having people on the farm we really do and we're really um we really love the fact that people go home and and they make changes they actually they think about where their flour comes from and the mm-hmm. different kinds of flour and they think about uh, you know the the meat and how it ends up on their plate mm. that's really awesome yeah do you, like and as you said before you get sort of multiple visitors to workshops and stuff like that and yeah it's the as you say a lot of people come down from Sydney and I don't know my thought I guess there's a, there's a wide variety of the different people and and what they take away and how much they implement what they've learned here in, into sort of daily life and and stuff like that but um I guess your sort of like continual engagement with with you know the people that are that come here and the people you see at the markets and whatever it's it's cool to see that you know that they take with them those skills that they they can impart on their children or they can you know they'll start making their own bread or you know sauerkraut or whatever it may be and and yeah continue it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing it's a pretty amazing feedback loop as well like it's a really it's such a um it's such an amazing thing for us to be able to sort of experience that with people and we have these gorgeous and people have such a beautiful experience on the farm and so they get really inspired and they want to go home and plant cabbages and make sauerkraut out of their own cabbages and I mean that's a really awesome feedback loop Mm. and we feel very lucky to really genuinely lucky to be able to do that because uh, you know it's very satisfying Mm. and really it's really lovely yeah must be (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know 
Normally we talk over each other all the time, so I'm on my best behavior. <laughs> You're looking at Adam like, I'm like, letting you finish interrupt it. me. I'm letting you finish the sentence, which we don't normally do. We say, oh, I said this one time. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I guess like what we've been talking about and what I try to do with this podcast a little bit is, is not just get the history of your farm because you can read that and like we'll write a bit about that anyway and, and stuff like that. But one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about like was the, the model that you guys have in terms of being very, being small farmers, very integrated with the community around you. Um, it's really challenging to make that work for a lot of people. And you, you have sort of like a multifaceted business in terms of the market garden and all the different things you produce and the workshops and, and you know, the stall at the markets and all that sort of thing. And obviously you're very you're sort of like savvy and willing to try new things and whatever, like what's, what is like, how challenging is it for people to, for people who want to become small producers? To, to make it work what are the like what are some of the things that they 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 need to think about or that they need to like you know they need to obviously take risks and and have a bit of you know go get them about them to to, to start something but i don't know like i think a lot of people think about this ideal of local food economies becoming really much more sort of like small and collectivized and people knowing knowing their local producers and people connecting to food and that's starting to happen but the challenges for the farmers are really real yeah so what sort of like can you shed some light on challenges and how how they can be met yeah number one can i i'll just go first say so, so very quickly number one i don't think there's ever a good time a sensible time to start right. so i think that would just be my first point is that at no point if you think about it in a very systematic logical way is it ever going to make perfect sense to jump out of, for instance, a sensible city job into a risky agricultural venture in a new community? That would be my first first point. If you're moving somewhere new, we were very lucky that we're moving home, so we're moving to an area that we knew, but it wasn't an established food system. But Adam literally came home and kind of res- had resigned his job one day because... We just, it was never, it was never actually. There's never the perfect never time, time to do it. Just, yeah. yeah. So you but sometimes you just got to jump. Have to and then jump and just go, you know what? I like think crazy. this is going to be a good idea. Anyway, that was just my hmm. point is that it's never going to be a particularly logical thing. You've just got to find the courage to go, you know what? I think this will work and at least we'll, we'll eat well, <laughs> even if we have no money. <laughs> I don't know if there's one answer to that question. For us, we had a couple of clear goals and one of them was that we both. We wanted to live on the farm and we both wanted to derive an income from the farm. Yeah. We didn't want to have one of us working a traditional job off farm. So then it became more like a hobby farm. So that straight away had us invested. And then yeah. it was uh, financial pragmatism. We had to pay the bills and yeah, feed yeah, our family. Yeah. So that's, I think, initially we were driven by looking at a number of diverse uh, <clears throat> options because we needed to find ways to, to earn a living but also in conjunction with that, uh, working out what we had a passion for and what gave us energy. We tried some things and they just didn't didn't float our boat and we'd try other things and they're amazing. You go, yeah, well, if I'm going to work at that seven days a week, I want to quite like what I'm, what I'm doing. Uh, and then, <clears throat> so that's one thing in terms of what you're actually doing and focused on. The other thing then is creating a market or, or tapping into a market and for instance, here, we're always struck. We, when we first started, we were doing weekend markets, but they were always in a different location each week. And it's a very, a weekend market customer is very different to a weekday farmer's market. So you're going along to get an ice cream and have a kick around and maybe buy a few little treats. But when you're selling uh, commodities like vegetables or eggs, they're a, they're a weekly buy and we didn't want to have to go around. And that weekend, it was a whole day. It was like really disruptive. Uh, and there was no farmer's market. And so fee and... Uh, joined a committee and got the Kaima Farmers Market up and running, which is yeah. weekdays, three hours in the afternoon. You can harvest in the morning. And because it's weekly, we're finding that people's buying behaviour has changed in Kaima. And we've got a lovely, amazing core group of customers that do their weekly shopping at the farmer's market mm. first before going to supermarkets to top up you know, the other ingredients. And that's made a big difference in terms of efficiency of time. You know, All of a sudden, we had a three-hour marketing window 
it suited us it was midweek and it also more importantly for us freed up the weekend to run workshops which again part of our business we love teaching but it's also it's a living uh, and the weekends work well we, we have, do do occasional weekday classes but the weekends are by far the, the more popular one um, so if somebody's starting out you've got to you've just got to be prepared to put yourself out there and you know you can't be risk averse you've just got to got to get into it and mm. everybody will have a different scenario so whether it's their land ownership or whether they're renting or the market that they're in or distance to population centers but you you there are i think for every example there are probably people with solutions to that and finding the right model and perhaps wholesaling is a better model for you know if you're in a remote area mm. one you know one long drive a week but you you're offloading everything um but for us yeah, I, I think trying to sell as much direct as possible, which takes time and a lot of energy because you've got to build up relationships with the individual customers mm. and customer loyalty. And that's where Fee's blogging... I mean, she started blogging... Your blog started pretty much before anything else, oh, didn't it? Long it was, so it was in, in Brisbane. Yeah. So talked about it. It was telling the story of the, the, the sea change or tree change that we had. Uh, and that built up quite a loyal readership. And then that translated into other, like, Facebook profile. But it was that dialogue with customers and the transparency and not just glossing over it we told stories about when you know foxes had eaten all our chickens or when we'd broken water pipes or when everything went pear-shaped but then we also tell you know oh today was a pretty good day and we watched the whales go past and Mm. you know we harvested amazing garlic and you know you you just people are hungry for the the story and they want to live your life vicariously sometimes (laughs) or at least be part of that especially on this farm yeah (laughs) so that was a very long-winded answer to that question but i think that was an insight into our thinking do you think that this region and where you're based facilitates that that you know model or do you think that that it's sort of possible in in areas that maybe don't have such a dedicated you know local food community as as this region i wouldn't have said that there was a dedicated local food community here six years ago okay it was on its way but uh, when we arrived, they we ju- there was just the beginning of um, a local, really good local food cooperative, and I think one of the things that you do when you participate in a local food community is that you then it, it is it, it's a self perpetuating thing because if you've got a great local farmers market, then other people who float through the area will go well, well maybe I'll have a go at growing garlic because there's an outlet here and, and it, it, it builds, it has to start somewhere and we're big believers in it starting either with a really good local food co-op or a local yeah. farmer's market somewhere where people can it's a marketplace basically mm. and it has to start somewhere. So for people starting out I guess one of the first things you look into doing is to identify who sort of the key people are in that, that food community and start yeah. talking to them for sure you know yeah we don't it's interesting some people say oh you know we, we want to grow chickens or something locally and we're always hugely supportive of that and people say well you know aren't you worried about a competition and no. it's actually I think that the market is far bigger than any one farm can can monopolize and mm. I think there's power in having a, a culture of food production and that yeah. you'll never I think that it's a much stronger argument to be supportive and cooperative and collaborative with each other as growers and producers than the reverse and say well no you've got to work that mm. out yourself and would you would you sort of say at the same time though that like maybe do something different just so oh, absolutely. Got I mean, it's, element like, yeah if you're there's plenty of ways to skin a cat so you <laughs> can have a number of different um, veggie growers or but you can specialise in either growing or producing something that's a little bit uh, unique or your market you may choose to do a bigger volume simpler for wholesale versus a retail or a box system CSA mm. or you know there's there's plenty of different diverse ways and you've got to be smart about that you don't want to go absolutely head to head particularly with people in a small population area yeah different in sort of selling to Sydney but we've just come back from a, a farmers gathering called deep winter which is held it's been every year for the last three years and it's a an agrarian gathering of sort of small-scale regenerative farmers from all over Australia, uh, and the last one was in Byron Bay. We hosted it the year before here, and the first one was done in Dalesford in Victoria. And it's amazing from a networking perspective. It's not a sort of formal conference, but all of a sudden, you people you realise that there are farmers like you out there all over Australia, mm. having especially similar... those two places that you just mentioned. Yeah, really... yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. And who have faced similar challenges, who may be further along the path than you, or just starting. And this avenue to collaborate and the energy. And it makes you realise that all up and down New South Wales, there, you know, and, and inland as well, there are farms similar to us in terms of aiming to produce really great quality food with ethics, have a lifestyle on a farm and, and support a food system. And they're all finding their own unique path. And it's not without challenges, but it's also, it was really empowering to, to see the number of people there that are making a go of it and earning livings and, and thinking about the future, how to make it sustainable, how to, you know, how to get the best out of it, how to work smarter, not necessarily harder, all those things. What's really interesting about that particular network of young and new farmers is that it is what I would call anti-competitive. So it's this incredible open source network where if somebody has information that's valuable to the group, they'll share it. There's nothing that's held close uh, in terms of intellectual property even. It's really amazing kind of open sharing of of really critical information, all sorts of fabulous... um, uh, things have sort of happened across the country with ideas about um, small um, <clears throat> on-farm abattoirs, etc. I mean, there mm. are different rules for each state, and so sometimes we find it hard to talk to Victoria because they get incredibly annoyed with the the imagination that the New South Wales, Wales Food Authority can sometimes um, mm. distribute, like can 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 um, can have. Whereas, you know, that I know we've got colleagues working um, under much tougher conditions in uh, in Victoria where the where their regulatory authorities aren't prepared to imagine different scenarios for new for new mm. ways of doing things and so that's the only <laughs> sticking point sometimes with within you know state-based conversations but it's really amazing and people people getting started I mean we for example we had somebody that rang us out of the blue and said he wanted to start uh, free-range poultry farming could he come and learn everything that Adam knew and he did and he was awesome really? and he just lived with us for a few weeks and <laughs> Adam basically downloaded everything he knew and then he went off to his farm to start growing chickens and so what he just came in and just did a bit of work for you and then you just yeah. said I just want I'm just here to learn and yeah he was open about what he wanted to get out of it for us you know uh, he, he helped us out for a few weeks yep. And like an internship kind yeah, of yeah yeah but it's there's not many industries that you'd see that kind no. of happening in and I think we're really proud I'd say as well we, we never we're not experts at anything we do so <laughs> it's we're always very clear that you come and see how we do it yes and that may or may not be the right way for you <laughs> yes. but we'll also true. we'll share very honestly with the trials and tribulations yes. that we've had and this is how we got to this point. Yeah, yeah, you may, you know, with a different background or different resources, be do able it to better. shortcut yeah. it or do it better. And maybe that's a that's a good thing. But isn't you know, that amazing? Different. It's amazing that you, that you mentioned you don't see that in any other industry, and you really don't. Not really. Not really. Like someone going into a retail shop and saying, "I want to, I want to learn all your systems because I want to open an, a clothing store thing. as well that's the same as yours." Yeah. 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 It's great, and I think it's because we understand that there's. We understand that we're very privileged to be here. Like we're very lucky to be on this bit of land growing food and grateful to do it. And so we would also love to see other people doing similar things. And so it's all about Mm. proliferation of the small farm. Yeah, Mm. there's a place for it. Yeah. That's great. Do you you ever, just on the point that it's just such an absolutely beautiful farm, (laughs) do do you ever get tempted to to make a wedding venue or have something. I'm sure you've got a million people asking all the time if they can have their wedding here. We have a joke that one of our sort of lines on our business plan is to farm the view because we've got this amazing view and we need to find creative ways to to you know, potentially earn a living from it. Wedding venues, we've got zero desire to yeah. do that. But in terms of, I think the big part of the workshop is that whatever workshop you do on the farm, you do a farm walk. Yep. Uh, so you, you're experiencing the farm, you're seeing the systems and you're also appreciating its, its location, Right. for instance. Um, Look, we're not, we don't rule anything out and it is who knows what we'll do in the yeah. future. Um, right now, what we're really interested in is actual transferal of skills mm. and that's kind of we're really driven by this love of watching people make their first batch of sourdough and then Mm. going home with their little tub of starter. It's a very different relationship that those people have with this farm than if you came with a group of 200 and had a wedding here. So I think that's what's driving us right now. That's great. uh, Mm. 
Yeah. We'll see it's what very, happens in the future. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great because, you know, there's just so many farms like this one or there's plenty of farms that I've been to where they're just like, stuff it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to just, they stop farming yeah. and it becomes a wedding venue. And yeah. it's simple as that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, we, we've been approached by restaurateurs <laughs> to open a restaurant here and we can yeah, probably exactly. retire on that. Exactly. Yeah. Then we lose our farm, it becomes a theme park and we're not yeah. really, that's not what we, why we moved down here. Yeah, cool. Not right now. Not right now. Yeah. Any years time, we might go, yeah, I'm ready for a time. Not right now. We'll call them up no, and see cool. if they're still interested. Yeah. Can, um, you, yeah. can you edit that out? <laughs> just being honest. Um, just quickly then, like seeing, you know, you're obviously interested in keeping the integrity of what you're out there to do, transfer skills and connect with the public and support local food culture. Mm. If, it, if, if, it, if you were to approach it purely economically and, and say, look, like, this is what we make most of our money from mm-hmm. and whatever, and we want to utilise this land as financially, you know, and economically as, as possible, like, what... What would the farm look like? Would it be a lot different, or, or is it, is the spreading of facets a risk management thing that that's practical? Yeah. Do you want to answer that? Well, I think coal seam fracking, you know, all the way, <laughs> concrete the lot and just put some <laughs> gas wells in, and away we go. No, uh, so that was a flippant answer. Look, uh, generally, let's be let's be clear. People pay a lot more for services than they do for products. Generally, particularly food. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you think about um, the you know what we call the carrot economy or the radish economy, where you're actually you're charging things out at, at four dollars a bunch of carrots, that's a very different business than you know a, a service based or education based business. Sure. So, really. Um, we, if we were thinking entirely just economically, we would completely pump up that probably. Right. But we're trying to balance things with three small kids as well, sure. and so and this is where they live as well. So yeah. that's quite that's actually pretty significant. Like we have to keep a a, a balance for us. This is not just a venue because it's our, our home as well. So if in the future it ever became just a venue then that would be different we would have to, would have a different approach to it but right now um, we want to be able to eat the food here so we don't want to buy in chicken or pork or anything you know we want to actually we really want to be as self-sufficient or as interest sufficient as possible mm. so that 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 informs mm. the activities as well yeah exactly yeah. and a part of that you know a part of the reason why people want to come come here and experience this the service side is that it's a working farm as well yeah, that's that got a story authenticity you know? yes to exactly. it and credibility in a way yep to, yes but also because i think there's a lot of people that have uh, a small part in their heart where they would love to have some land and so because it is actually a small family farm there's an opportunity to it's not just a venue there's an opportunity to go to this place and actually see how you might do it yourself perhaps mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. would you how would you make it viable how would you you know have a look at the gardens and the, the yep. small animal systems etc and and so and it, it feels replicatable in a in a way i think hmm. there's a point of difference as well i mean there's quite a few cooking schools around there's not so many on farm cooking schools mm. where there's such a direct correlation with the raw there's nothing better than going out and just grabbing your own produce yeah and seeing the chicken that you're eating for lunch or um, watching the the animal systems with the cows and the pigs how they've worked through the market garden to create the fertility to then produce the veggies that Mm. you're growing so that's good the the workshop side of things is probably slightly more scalable because we're limited in land size and that will never change Um, but I guess we have a provision for the future that we could you know potentially do a larger number of workshops yeah. for instance if we had the time and energy and and the cool. desire to do that that's it um i guess we could bring it back to what we were talking about like to sort of help people who might be facing challenges in small farming is you know engage with the public and f- like uh monetize you know providing knowledge to people and 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 get them involved in what you do yeah. and if you need if you need an extra rid of cash flow and that means that you have to do something on the weekend to engage people and also make a bit of money out of it then that's an option as well it's not mm. just about producing and selling at a farmer's market mm. i think there's a tendency for a lot of 
small farmers probably translates to small business to undersell yourself to not put a true value you might doubt and go well i think it's worth this but i'm not sure other people will see the value so we'll we'll only sell it for for less and you know, it takes a little while to build confidence to know yeah. the, the fair value and to be able to to convince people that that is the fair value but of course that you can go the other way and completely price yourself out of a market and be unrealistic um i think going back to one of the the biggest challenges of setting up a small farm like this is just managing your cash flow because you mm-hmm. can see you can do your models you can work out what's going to work but at the end of the day you also need to pay bills when they're due and just uh being smart and savvy and that's a business skill not necessarily a farming mm-hmm. skill to to make sure that you've mapped that out and you've always got enough and that's where for instance we started with eggs because eggs are a daily income. When yeah. you think about it, you're getting, a bit like dairy farming, you're getting an egg a day, which you can then sell. So mm. you don't have those big gaps. Whereas if you start with cattle, that's great and they're really easy, but <laughs> they're an annual income. <laughs> you, yeah. you, know, you, you, you get one payday a year, so yeah. you've got to have some uh, resources to back totally. that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, think, I think that sort of translates to a lot of new small businesses. Yes. It's, yeah. it's just, you're actually going to, you're not just going to, make knives or <laughs> have donkeys or run a farm <laughs> but you're actually going to be a business owner as well yes. and you need to think about that before you start rather yeah. than while you're while you're sort of working yeah and with that comes a bureaucratic but like there's a lot of regulation and licensing which saps energy like when your passion's farming and then you've got to do the book work and apply exactly. for licenses but it's a critical part of it and i think just to to go into that with your eyes open and and think strategically about you know how you're going to deal with it and what's the priority and and not just looking at your total business plan and going in a year i think i can earn this but working out what actually pays mm. you know on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or a, an annual basis and yeah. yeah but that's business 101 exactly anything else you want to talk about guys taking up a lot of your time no eat less meat but eat better quality meat and know where it comes from and eat veggies a lot more every day awesome how was that? That was very... That's a, that's a great one. That was not poorly, poorly phrased. Well, I'm running out of steam. I need another coffee. Um, <laughs> no, no thank you. That's good advice. Thanks, guys. Thanks for yeah. talking to me. That's it. Lovely. Cheers. Lovely having a chat. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with Adam and Fiona from Buena Vista Farm in Gerringong. Always like talking to those guys. If you want to find out more about them, how you can attend a workshop or maybe one of their lunches, you can find them at the Kayama Farmers Markets too, but you can go to their website, buenavistafarm.com.au. If you want to find out more about us, you can check out our website, quicksandfood.com, or you can find us at quicksandfood on social media. Also, get out there and get the book. The Illawarra Cookbook is available on our website and at all good retailers in the Illawarra. Thank you for catching up, and we'll We'll see you again next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.